0: And Abraham was convinced that if he could strike his son down, that God would raise him up. And so when his boy asked, where is the sacrifice that he's seen done dozens of times before, Abraham, in faith, says that God himself will provide a lamb. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Through faith, also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Remember that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things not seen, that by it, The elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were created by the Word of God, so the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. And contrary to popular belief, we understand that our faith is not blind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament revealeth His handiwork. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word revealed God, and the Word was God. All things created by Him, without Him, was not anything made that was made. We know there is reason. We know there is evidence to prove that God exists, to prove the authenticity and the veracity of the faith once delivered for the saints. But we also understand that there are times in our lives when God will push our faith to the limits, to the point of which we don't know we can go any further. And then he pushes us beyond that spot that the testing of your faith, that the trying of your faith worketh endurance. Now, the writer of Hebrews 11 introduces us to Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the one who had waited to be able to have a son. We don't know a lot about Sarah's life. We know that she was fair to look upon. We know that Abraham had to hide her on, on more than one occasion. Such was the beauty of his wife, that he feared that the kings of the earth would take them from Abraham and take her for themselves. But we also know that somewhere in Sarah's mind and somewhere in her heart, she must have wondered why it was that God did not choose her. Who knows how many Baby showers she attended, thinking to herself, why isn't this happening to me? Maybe she had looked at some of the Chaldean women and examined their life and examined their hearts and said, if I had a little boy, I wouldn't treat them like they do. Maybe she faced the stereotype of a society that if you did not have a child and you were a woman, that meant there was something wrong with you. Maybe she lived under that kind of oppression and prejudice Who knows how many sleepless nights she faced, desiring to have a child. And then we're reintroduced to Abraham, who the Scripture describes as a friend of God, the one whom God made a covenant that through him and his family, all the earth would be blessed, that they would be not only a great nation, but a blessing, that they would bring salvation to the scattered ones, that in Abraham... The covenant and the blessing of the Lord would extend out to the nations. And we know a few things about Abraham. We know that he had a great name. We know that he had a reputation. We know that he has wealth. God gives him all of these things, but he could have gotten land, wealth, and fame. But in childbearing, he's helpless without the Lord. And I love the way the Scripture describes his age. Some think this is referring to Isaac. I like to think it's referring to Abraham. The King James describes him and him as good as dead. That's the Bible's way of saying that Abraham was old. Would you like to be described in that way, any of you feel as good as dead this morning? And the scripture says that when Abraham was revealed by the Lord that he would one day have a child, Sarah heard this prophecy, she heard this revelation, and she laughed. And later on, God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah became scared and said, I didn't laugh. And ultimately, they named their son Isaac, Yitzhak in Hebrew, which means laughter. God had the last laugh. That after all of these obstacles, old age, infirmity, infertility, the miracles of God still take place, that we cannot put capacities and limitations on the God we serve, can we? We serve a God who is not like us in many respects, one who completes and performs the task to which he calls us. And it says that she judged him faithful who had promised. She took God at his word and was given a son. And now to receive this son, Abraham is given a word. Surely he had said at some point in his life, as he watched this little boy grow up, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then to hear the words from the Lord, to take the boy up on the mountain, and to sacrifice him on God's behalf. We understand, as Tim mentioned earlier, that we live in a fallen world. This world is not the way... It should be. We see evidence of the creation all around, but we also know that there is sorrow, there is sin, there is suffering, which without Christ we are unable to overcome, and we wait for the day in which he will ultimately make all things new. But there's something especially wrong in this world when a parent is forced to bury their child. I have done hundreds of funerals, And I can tell you by far the most difficult ones to do is when the parent is out in the congregation staring at their child. I've seen teenagers lose a newborn baby to where the roles have been reversed, where all the parents are acting childish and the teenagers gathered around the gravesite are the adults. I've seen mothers lean over the coffin and caskets of their sons who overdosed on drugs, wailing for them to return. I've had fathers pull me aside and plead with me. Do not lie about his life. Tell these people the truth. And it just seems in this passage, if we're really examining it at face value, and if we're honest with ourselves, this is a struggle. Because for God to grant this promise, only to seemingly take it away, if you didn't believe that God was good, if you're at all honest with yourself, you have to believe that He's cruel, that He's mean. He's what the atheist Richard Dawkins describes as a malevolent child. Just to read this at face value, apart from biblical insight, away from theological spin, if you're at all intellectually honest with yourself, you have to ask, is God good? I know you don't lie, but are you being honest with me here? You can do that with a thousand different things. You can do that when your children pass on. You can do that when your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. You can do that when your hopes are shattered and your dreams are crushed. You can do that with anything in this life. And if you end up there and you remain there, understand that your enemy, the devil's entire goal in this life is to make you doubt the goodness of God. It's been this way since the beginning. Did God really say? Did God really mean? And the danger for you and the danger for me when we reach this point in our life is that we would ever think that it was ours in the first place. The Bible says that the children are inheritance of the Lord. They belong to God before they belong to you. You've been bought with a price. The job you have, the talents you've been given, all of that is God's before it is yours. And Job will echo that sentiment when he says, the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. I still have to bless the name of the Lord. Abraham somehow knew that this was the will of God for him. But I want you to see the difference in how Abraham discerns and determines and obeys the will of God to the way you and I determine and discern and obey the will of God. Do you think Abraham had a good feeling about this? As he is getting ready to take his son to the top of a mountain, do you think he had a good feeling? We live in an age of postmodern worship where if it doesn't feel right, take off, find somewhere else. Nowhere does the Scripture tell us to live by feelings. It tells us to live by faith. Abraham could have easily have said, God, I've given you my home. I've given you my country. I gave my nephew Lot, the good land, and then rescued him, by the way, when he forgot to worship you. I've given you almost everything I have, and now you want my son? It's like you're chipping away. At my life, until I have nothing left for you. Yet in God's strange providence, that is exactly where he wants us to be. And so he'll say things like, Speak to the rocks, sound the trumpets, walk on the water, only believe. And John the Baptist, who Jesus himself describes as the greatest born among women, who is in the face of the Pharisees, saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand. He is reduced to sitting in a prison cell, sending a message, are you the Christ, or should we seek for another? Are you really good? And I love how Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer here. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, who is not offended by what I ask of them. Not the response of the rich young ruler who walked away sorrowful, not the Pharisees who refused to let go of their traditions, not King Agrippa mocking Paul's attempts to persuade him to believe, but people who will say, God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. and I will do whatever you say see, to be a person of faith, it's simple. It's childlike, even. But it's not easy, nor is it supposed to be. This past month, Alex Hanold accomplished something that no one else has done at Yosemite National Park. He climbed up El Capitan, 3,000 feet high, cliff face higher than any skyscraper in the world at present, but the feet wasn't climbing it, but that he free-soloed it. And to free-solo something is not to use gear and not to use rope, to use nothing but your bare hands and feet to climb up that mountain. And so if you fall, it's goodbye earth, hello eternity. And so he superglues his two fingers together. He puts his his substance on to make sure that he's able to grip the rock face and he climbs. It takes faith to do something like that. Faith in something. Maybe faith in the insane. I don't know. Some of us like adventure. We like thrill-seeking. So we ride the roller coaster and we drive our cars fast and we try to do something that will give us a... A thrill in this life. We're not afraid to climb mountains, but do we have mountain moving faith? Because Jesus said, If you have faith in me, you will be able to say to this mountain, Be thou moved, and it will be moved. But Paul also tells us that the only way we achieve this mountain moving faith, the faith to remove mountains, if we do it without love, we don't have anything. And how do we know that we love Him? It is when we keep His commandments. It is when we follow Him in obedience. And so the Scripture reminds us that the way that we have faith is through obedience, and the way that we obey is through love. And so Abraham, at the heightened point of his life, loves God even more than he loves his own son. Here he is, standing there. What father wouldn't have wanted to take the place of his son? What father wouldn't have wanted to get in there and said, let me be the sacrifice? But Abraham is asked to do something totally horrific. He's asked to take the very life of his son. And on an earthly level, it doesn't make any sense. Isn't this what the pagans do? Aren't they the ones who sacrifice their babies? And yet the God of this universe is asking Abraham seemingly to do the same thing it's easy to wonder where is God during our times of trouble our times of trial one man bitter against the loss of his boy asked the pastor towards the end of the service after spouting off at a few things he said where was God when my son died the pastor paused for a few moments and he said you know I don't know but probably in the same place as when he son died. See, Abraham doesn't have the the script at the end of the day. He doesn't have the tide of history to prove him right. All he has is God's calling on his life, and that's all he needs. And so the scripture says they were persuaded of their faith. They were embraced of their faith. They can... Confessed their faith, and Abraham was convinced that if he could strike his son down, that God would raise him up. And so when his boy asked, where is the sacrifice that he's seen done dozens of times before, Abraham, in faith, says that God himself will provide a lamb. Now we see through a glass darkly, one day face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know, even as also we are known. Martin Luther nails this out well. We sang one of his songs earlier. This is how he describes Abraham's faith, that if you look at it simply from the surface, who would not hate a God so cruel and contradictory that if Abraham had known that this was only a trial, he would not have been tried. Such is the nature of our trials that while they last, we cannot see to the end. And as Abraham and Isaac are on top of that mountain, the whole world does not know what here took place, and as Isaac begins to look around for the sacrifice, and Abraham says that God will provide the son, Abraham must have told him that God will fulfill his promises, even if he had to get it out of the ashes. And so as the boy bears his throat, and Abraham raises his knife, and if God had slept... Just an instant, the lad would have been dead. He was a sheep for the slaughter. Never in history was such obedience, save only in Christ. But God was watching, and all the angels, and as Abraham raises his knife and brings it down, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham believes. Luther finishes by saying, we say in the midst of death we die, but God answers, no, in the midst of death, We live. Abraham's faith is a response to God's faithfulness. And Jesus will later reference Abraham when he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He looked for a city. Psalm 22, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And as Abraham unties his son Isaac, surely he must have said in walking off of that mountain, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus will say, say the same thing the father will say it about Jesus in Matthew 4 when he comes up out of the water of baptism this is my son in whom I'm well pleased hear him he will say it again at the transfiguration this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and then when given an opportunity Christ on the cross the sheep for the slaughter the ultimate son On it for you and me, as God the Father is forced to turn his back on sin, and Jesus cries out in rejection of turning the face of God, surely the Father must have thought, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He that spared Abraham's son spared not his own son. Can I just ask you this? Whatever in your mind you think you are not receiving from God, the one who will not withhold any good thing from his children, whatever that is, whether that's a spouse or a child or a job or a family situation that desperately needs to be solved and you feel like you don't have the answer and you need the answer, can I just ask you this? If God himself will not release and will not spare his son on your behalf but freely give you all. What more could you possibly want? We sit here and we complain about everything we can. We complain about the the temperature, the length of the service, the music, the programming, everything else, and God in heaven says, I gave my son for you people. What more could we possibly want? And if you're here today and you're holding back from God, how can you withhold from a God who did not withhold anything from you? He who spared not his son shall he not freely give us all things. And the scripture closes out this passage by saying, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which also he received him in a figure the god who spared abraham's son did not spare his own son hey guys thanks so much for listening to the broadcast if you found it helpful please consider sharing it with your family and friends For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.